Hello, hello, hello. What is up? And welcome to Off the Books, where we're surfing the uncharted waters of accounting, of finance, and wherever else those waves take us. Off the Books is brought to you by Workiva, your go-to platform for SEC reporting, SOX compliance, internal controls, and so much other fun stuff. It's not yet a verb like Zoom or Skype or Venmo or eBay, but damned if it will be soon. Check it out at workiva.com slash podcast. I'm Drew Dubner, and I am your host. I am not an accountant, but I like asking questions of people who are, so finance professionals can do their jobs better. And today, oh, we're going to have some forensic fun. We've got Steve Soder and our fabulous guest star, Tim Tribe. Hey, Steve, would you tell the fine folks at home who you are? I would be happy to, Drew, Steve Soder, accounting enthusiast and Diet Coke aficionado. I'm looking forward to debiting some tales of chicanery today in our conversation. And Tim, last but not least. My name is Tim Tribe. I appreciate the chance to be here today. I am a forensic accountant. And like Mr. Soder, I, I decide that Dr. Pepper is liquid gold, not, uh, not Diet Coke. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool accounting nerd all the way back to high school and a car enthusiast. That's my expensive and uh, wasteful hobby, actually. So, Drew, if we're keeping track here, this is the second time somebody has opted for Dr. Pepper above Diet Coke, uh, and a guest doing so nonetheless. I need to take note here. I think you need to take note. I think you might need to switch allegiances. Oh, that'll never happen. I just find it interesting, that's all. (laughs) I think you might need to introduce me to this other person who brought up Dr. Pepper. Well, uh, his name is Charles Carrington. He's a partner with Deloitte. And uh, like you will certainly be, has been uh, one of our finer guests, I'm sure. So maybe we'll need to get you and Charles hooked up at some point. I'll pass along his contact information. Well, and the fact that he has a charming British accent doesn't hurt either. Just if I'm being honest. There's nothing I can say that's going to overcome that. That's right. As Tim, unfortunately, does not have a charming British accent. He is a forensic accountant, like he mentioned. So... uh, You know, I'm not entirely sure what that means, but we've got two clues here. We've got forensic, which sounds like Petri dishes and skulls and CBS primetime drama shows, while accountant sounds like Excel files and coffee and stuff. So, Tim, um, help me piece those two things together. We've got Petri dishes. We've got Excel files. What is forensic accounting? And is it very gruesome? Well, it certainly can be gruesome, depending on how many uh, uh, files you're going through. It, it makes for uh, a lot of work. But no, you know, forensic accounting ultimately is an area of accounting where, unlike other areas where we have specific reporting that we're trying to do, that kind of thing, forensic accounting is all about preparing or rebuilding information, preparing it so that it's useful as evidence, primarily in, in courts of law and other ways to settle out disputes. So it has a very different focus than a lot of your more traditional accounting avenues. And Tim, it sounds like usually forensic accountants aren't tiptoeing through crime scenes, but as you just described, sounds like they might be pouring through financial documents. I'm not sure which of those two would be more exciting, but tell us a little (laughs) more about how forensic accountants actually spend their time. Sure. You know, I, it's funny you say I don't go tiptoeing through crime scenes, but I, I have actually on, on a couple of occasions. I was involved in a, a, investigating a large fraud where I was with the police as they raided the location. And we went in and took possession of their, their records and ultimately of their business under a cool. court order. Uh, so that was, that was an interesting day. It was, it was a fun process to watch. 
uh, even walked into a bank that day with a very thick stack of paper that was a federal court order to freeze assets. And with the reaction I got out of the bank folks, you might have thought I'd lit the place on fire. But uh, <laughs> and, you know, in one other situation where I was on a crime scene actually involved in arson, we'll probably get to that story here later. But uh, you know, ultimately, with forensic accounting, I'm going to be brought in on a case. It could be a litigation case. It could be, you know, in civil type of litigation. It could be a criminal case. It could be something even as simple as an insurance claim where uh, something has happened to a business and, and someone's got to come in, take some financial information, rebuild it, figure out what the story is, figure out how that, inf- that, that financial information came to be the way it is, answer some questions about it for a trier of fact in a litigation type of environment, perhaps provide opinions on whether or not the records indicate a pattern that, is, that suggests fraud, for example, if we're in a, in a criminal situation. So it's, it's about answering very specific questions about those records. It's about making sense out of the records. It's about filling in the gaps in those records. Uh, and it's, it's about being able to tell what the story is. Uh, go in there and figure it out and tell what that what the story is of those numbers. It's a lot like what you see on a CSI type of show. What's the story left behind by the evidence? But uh, in this case, the evidence are, is numbers. So, Tim, it, this sounds like you get to explain accounting principles to very elementary level people. It sounds like you get to talk to people on juries all the time who probably don't get the least of accounting. Uh, what's that like? Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest challenges. Uh, you know, a lot of people try uh, who, who think they want to get into forensic accounting, and 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 it sounds very interesting, which it is, uh, and may not be really cut out for it for a variety of reasons. One, um, just the nature of the work doesn't involve checklists and some structured way of doing things. But the other is just being able to explain what you've done to a group of people in the form of perhaps a jury, who one, if you've ever done jury duty, probably don't even want to be there. Oh, for and, sure. And two, uh, when they hear that an accountant is the next witness, have already started to fall asleep. And so <laughs> uh, you're, you're having to do your, your dead level best to try and keep their interest and to help them understand the facts at hand. So it, that takes a completely different skill set than anything you, you've otherwise learned as an accountant. You know, I started out as an auditor. Oh, and, okay. I would, and I was doing all the checklists and all that kind of stuff. And then I actually uh, transitioned into academia for a few years. And it ultimately ended up being the, the combination of those two things where I had a background with the financials and, and I spent you know five years auditing you know big companies. I was a manager at a big four firm. And then the combining that experience with uh, having to, uh, as I like to say it, um, explain complex accounting to brain dead college sophomores which was about as good a, a prep for a jury as there is out there. <laughs> so uh, those two things kind of came together to dovetail for me in terms of developing a skill set uh, for what I do now. Because uh, not only do I have to dive deep into the technical elements and do them correctly and understand uh, you know, everything behind it to make them work, uh, but then I got to turn around and distill it down into as simplest terms and as simplest way to, to you know, concept as possible uh, to help a jury understand uh, why I reached the conclusions that I did. Yeah, and, and that often and, means I imagine that you have to start with accounting 101 or even before then. Oh, absolutely, yes. I, you know, in fact, in, in one of the criminal cases where I testified, the, the, I was testifying on behalf of the state, and um, the the county attorney, uh, the prosecuting attorney, after 
she got my you know, qualifications stated for the court and all that kind of stuff, just basically turned to me and said, Mr. Tribe, we're going to ask you to go ahead and teach us some basis, basics about accounting right now. <laughs> and I just, I turned to the jury and I started explaining debits and credits and uh, had to do that to lay the foundation because in that particular case, one of the ways that the controller, who was the accused, who ends up convicted, by the way, was hiding, concealing his efforts was through some journal entries. And I had to explain to, I had to set the foundation for how journal entries work and why accounting works the way it does in order for the jury to understand why those journal entries made no sense uh, <laughs> once you understood the context of them. Uh, so it was, it was a bit of a process, but we were successful at it and, and managed. To, I, I don't think I had any jurors fall asleep on me on that one. Uh, so, uh, I was pretty proud of myself. Tim, it sounds like though, see, there's almost like two levels of this. There's the first level, which is where you've got to get the jury or whomever just to understand the principles behind it. But, but that by itself is not enough. It's not like you say, your honor, this is a classic case of revenue recognition. And the honor says, <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. I mean, that, that's obviously not it. it and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but from what I hear you telling me, you have to start with the principle, but then the application of that principle is indicative of something else. Like, hey, this person's been playing fast and loose, or clearly this person is not telling the truth because they've said this, but the financial records indicate otherwise. I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of having to take that next level in support of the case or whatever. I mean, am I understanding that the right way? You are. And it's even a little bit more nuanced than that, because I cannot reach a conclusion that is reserved for the jury or in the case of a, a bench trial, the judge. I can't I can't reach their conclusion for them. So interestingly enough, I may come in as a fraud expert, but I can't say there was fraud. I can't say it. In fact, my testimony will be stricken. Uh, if I were to say such a thing. So I I can explain the principle. I can explain how a certain type of fraud looks. I can then take the evidence and line it up with the principle or the basic you know format or pattern of a fraud. And then I got to leave it at that. I, I, I got to lead the jury there and let them make their own decision. Uh, and so yeah, it, it is a multi-step process and it takes it takes some doing to really get it across effectively. Because under the law, only a jury can convict someone of fraud. They're the only ones who can say that it happened. Uh, for sure. So as an expert, I can't do that for them. Hey, Tim, before we go too much further in the conversation, can we take a step back and talk about what you all do at InGen Financial Forensics? Uh, InGen is a boutique accounting firm. By that, I mean, we don't do anything traditional as far as taxes, audits, none of that kind of stuff. We are strictly forensics. And our forensics work usually comes down into uh, basically three areas. One is expert witness, usually in civil lit litigation type work. Uh, the types of things that we could cover could be, it runs a gamut. If there's a question of, of financial nature in litigation, there's probably a role for me. Uh, it could be something as simple as calculating some damages uh, to opining on uh, an accounting issue. And then we do uh, full-on fraud examinations where we might be hired by a company to come and take a look at whether or not an employee has been stealing uh, and trying to figure that out, to perhaps hand that over to law enforcement once we're done. Uh, and then we do some work for insurance companies where we actually uh, help them with some of their claims because 
when uh, businesses are disrupted by, for example, wildfires, they can make a claim for lo their lost business income. And so uh, because adjusters are normal people and they don't like looking at financial statements, they hand it off to <laughs> the, the nerdy accountants like me and we help them understand what the business should look like if this had never happened. So those are kind of our, our three three main areas uh, where, where we work. We do get lots of good stories and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I ended up in this in a totally circuitous, circuitous route. I uh, did my undergrad in accounting uh, at Arizona State University and then went on and did a master's degree in, in accounting and then uh, ended up at one of the big fours I had mentioned before uh, as an audit, uh, auditor and thought I was going to stay there forever and then uh, you know, Enron happened and, and, and it <laughs> that really changed the world as far as accountants are concerned. And, and I decided uh, I wanted to go do something different. I was uh, teaching for a year. I was pursuing a doctorate for a couple of years. Uh, and then some family stuff said, you know, basically I needed to, to, to go ahead and leave that and get back out into work. And, and so that's when I picked up forensics and uh, started doing that. And it's been over 15 years now that I've been doing the forensics. And it's just a lot of fun. I really like what I do. I love it. Yeah. It sounds that's a really impressive skill set to to have uh, between the the actual know how of what you did working in Big Four, and being able to explain it as you get gathered at an academic level. Yep. So I think that's a really unique skill set. Would you say that's pretty common from a lot of the other people that you meet? in forensic accounting? I would say it's common to take an indirect route. It's not necessarily common to take the route that I took. It's very common to take an indirect route, primarily because forensics has been growing and developing so rapidly over the last 15, 20, 20 25 years. It's, it, it is still kind of new compared to the rest of the accounting profession. And so it, it was a lot of it was in development. You couldn't just go in and take even a class uh, for a long time in at any university in forensics. Now you can. Uh, some universities actually have certificates in it. Uh, but when I was in college, that certainly wasn't the case. It was all on the job learning and through various professional organizations. That was kind of the path. So more and more, I think there are students who are going straight into forensics, but they're usually going with bigger firms uh, to do it. Uh, for me, with a small boutique firm, I'm looking for someone who's been out and had a little bit of experience, you know, two to four years, that kind of thing, who wants to go try something new with their career. Tim, you and I met years ago when you had recently made the switch into forensic accounting. And I remember at the time, I'm not even sure anybody really knew what the term forensic accounting even meant. Would you say now today, though, that that is a somewhat established track for accounts, maybe not to the extent as audit or tax, but I mean, it feels like the, the, the profession has kind of carved out a real, you know, place for accountants to go where they can have a long and successful career at multiple different companies, not just, you know, one single place. And if you didn't work there, well, then you can't be in forensic accounting. I mean, is that, is that the case? Oh, absolutely. I would say that's absolutely true. And my, my career has exemplified that. You know, I've, I've been in forensics now for a little over 15 years and I've, I've been at different firms, you know, looking for that home, that place that really fit me uh, and, and fit my approach to things and, and how I wanted to, to do my work. And now I have my own firm. Uh, so, so it's definitely become that, that type of a track where you can make a career out of it, the whole, you know, for, for your whole career and you can have uh, great growth and, and mobility and do a lot of good and interesting things. Uh, and in fact, you might move from one firm that does specializes in a certain area of forensics now and, and move to another that you're, you're doing much more that, that didn't, uh, you didn't get exposed to a, a, 
otherwise. One thing I'm curious about is how much of this comes down to to technical knowledge. So it, like you said, this is kind of a, a burgeoning field and uh Accounting has changed dramatically because of technology. As technology grows, as we put data into the cloud and all of these these new technologies come into the picture, do you see that kind of changing the field of of what you do? Yeah, I think that there that, that technology continues to um, alter what we do in forensics in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, the basics are still there, the basic understanding of an accounting system and debits and credits and all that kind of stuff, and how a, a fraud might get. Per- perpetrated or how what it might look like when things get moved around by by someone in in a dispute but uh, the 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 technological advancements change chain of custody issues uh, they they change access to data issues uh, you know during this the whole covid thing you know I've been working remotely and uh, you know I've had cases where basically I've just I've been given my own login to get into accounting systems to look around rather than going on site anymore or, or anything along those lines. So, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of change happening uh, there. Are, and with that, there's also tools that are being developed out there to really help the forensic accountant, uh, especially in, in really high data volume uh, areas. The, the, the data analytics tools that are being developed out there are phenomenal. Uh, a lot of good stuff that's being developed. Uh, and I think it's, it's encouraging to see what, what could be coming down the pike in terms of actually real-time uh, fraud d- detection and prevention. So, Tim, speaking for myself, Drew, and definitely our wonderful listeners, we are suckers for some good stories. Any gems you'd be willing to share with us? Oh, Story time. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Ah, oh, gosh dang it. Really? Out of time? Oh, shoot. Okay, we're going to have to put a pin in this one for now, listeners. But there is more. Next week, Tim Tribe goes into some very juicy detail on some of the cases he's worked as a forensic accountant. It's very seriously entertaining. It's basically true crime, dateline, 48 hours kind of stuff. You've got to come back next week and check out the back half of this conversation. But for now, we hope you and your loved ones have a very radical, very safe Thanksgiving. We will be back next week with more from Tim Tribe. I'm Drew Dubner. This has been Off the Books. Please subscribe, leave a review, or tell your buds if you liked the show. Speaking of which, if you want to be on the show, if you want to yell at us, if you want to say nice things to me and Steve, write us at Off the Books, all one word, at workiva.com. That's Off the Books, at sign, workiva, W-O-R-K-I-V-A, dot com. Surf's up. And we'll see you on the next wave.